gentlemen, coming to you from New York, New York, it's the Hollywood Godfather Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Gianni Russo, Patrick Piccarelli, and Megan Horan. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, or should I say, whoever is listening, it's another Wednesday night, another new show, fortunately. And it's great to have you all there. Our numbers are skyrocketing, fortunately, to our popularity by your word of mouth. We need you to tell more friends. We need more followers and just keep this thing going because as an old man, I'm enjoying it immensely. <laughs> and I don't know what I would be doing on a Wednesday night without you all. So with Helping that- your money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, <right. laughs> with that, Pat, I want to congratulate you, first of all, on your son's white coat, which for the listeners, he is being accepted in a predominant medical school. Give a little background on this, please. Well, this is my uh, youngest son, uh, Zachary. Uh, call him Zach. He's 22. <clears throat> he got accepted to Pitt uh, uh, Medical School, University of Pittsburgh Medical School. Wow. Which is which is uh, quite a quite a feat because they only accept one percent of applicants. No. So way. they had some. They had something like. Uh, 16,000 applicants, they accepted 155, and uh, fortunately, my son is one of them. Wow, that's, that's crazy. Fabulous. Such a nice yeah. kid, too. Good for Zach. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and you know, he's, and he's a really great kid. He deserves it. You oh, met him at I the bet. book signing, Megan, remember? Did I? I don't yeah. know if I, oh, you know what, I did, briefly, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were so... In fact, uh, Megan, I have to send you a video that I already shared with Gianni that he, that he shot at the book signing. Oh, it's really? A, it's about it's about a 10-minute video, and I just found it three days ago. Oh, no, yeah. It's very good. I definitely want to yeah, see that. Yeah. That's awesome. I'll, I'll send it to you after, the, uh, Please after do. the show. And I love Zach's creativity. He closed it on my shoes. <laughs> That's <laughs> By great. accident, but I like it. Was it the loafers? Yeah. That's good. awesome. That's great. All right. Well, you know, what we are happy about, all of us, Pat, Megan, and myself, is the response we've been getting by all of you. And now we want to start recognizing it and actually have a segment of each week about the mailbag. But we have so much mail, we're going to contribute this whole hour mm -hmm. catching up. So anybody that's a follower weekly, you're apt to hear your name if you've responded and emailed us or any way you get to us, carrier pigeon, radar, <laughs> sonar, whatever it may be. So kick it off all right yes we have a lot of good questions um, a lot of different topics too and both for Johnny and Pat so it's good so we'll start off with some Godfather related ones okay so John asks for Gianni he said that he asked if you could delve a bit deeper into the time of Godfather filming and the life afterwards so he said you mentioned how you didn't follow protocol during initial introductions with Marlon Brando but then later became good friends. So he asked, did any of the fellow cast members slash production staff treat you different, differently because of how you got the part in the cast? And he also says, were, you, were they any friendlier, scared, suspicious towards you because of your, quote, associations outside the film? John, I love the question. Um, <laughs> I hope you read the book to get those questions, but if you didn't, <laughs> you're very on... So the people who don't know the answer to these questions, you can also find it in our book, Hollywood Godfather. But um, the, the people on the set, first of all, I, I'm not into Hollywood people. I wasn't at the time. I was 25 years of age. And my ego, I wanted to be in this movie. So basically, I worked every bit of mag magic I could to get <laughs> in. 
and I'm in it. And I've done 46 films because of it. But Brando was the first one that I had a problem with. It was the first day of the rehearsals, actually. And um, he basically wanted to know where I studied, who I studied with, what I had coming out. And I'm giving you the fast version because I want you to read the book. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally, I convinced him by literally threatening him and his life if he got me fired. And from that point on, he thought I was a great actor because I convinced him I would kill him. <laughs> so uh, that was my debut. I'm the only person. So he, thought, he actually thought you were acting. Yeah, he actually That's thought. That's the funny part. Yeah, well, P Pat knows because he wrote the book. But uh, that was the funniest part. I mean, I almost busted out laughing. Yeah. When he stood back and he looked at me, I didn't know what he was going to say. He said, wow, that was brilliant. You're a great actor. <laughs> and so... With that said, <laughs> I'm the only person in the world that could say Marlon Brando was my acting teacher, Frank Sinatra was my only singing teacher, and Marilyn Monroe made me a man when I was 16. Mm. you got to read this book. Well, how, how do we stop that? Have a very nice evening, folks. Yeah, right. right. That's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah. John, thank you for your question. Keep on listening and share it. Please, tell the world. <laughs> all right, so we have from one from Michael for Gianni as well. And he asked, Why don't you mix them up, though? Why don't you give one to Pat? You know, I don't want. Well, to yeah, though. I mean, they'll all be mixed up. I, I split yeah, them up. Well, I split them up by category, so okay, they'll okay. come up. All right. So this one says, "What why, is why question this millennium? <laughs> millennium? What do you call kind of... <laughs> millennial. millennial? I got it all figured out. Don't okay, worry. Please. All right. So Michael asks, "What is Robert De Niro like?" Robert De Niro. I tell you, once you get to know him, as I did through the years, he. I mean, we all have to recognize he's very weird. <laughs> and uh, you know how I, I, I think the best description would be if you respect anyone in your family that is mentally ill and when you visit <laughs> him you treat him differently yeah. that's Bobby De Niro really? <laughs> oh no he's well, not that's, that's, since he's so uh, famous wealthy and well known instead of weird shall we call him eccentric truly, yeah truly that's eccentric a, that's a better term <laughs> and, and sometimes I would tell you I, I met him so, several times through the years and I've gotten really close to him in the last two or three years because we were working on a couple of projects we traveled together on his jet but uh, I'm only bringing that out that that's how close I am to him it's not a phone call right. but um, a couple of times he'd call me to meet him and I used to meet him at the Alias Eye Hotel over here on uh, um, 63rd or 4th Street and it would take me a few minutes once I arrived to find him. Because mm -hmm. he was always in a disguise. Was he really? He didn't want anybody to know who he was. I'm saying, like, you are totally insane. Oh, my God. Like, like what kind of disguise? A hoodies, a beard, He would wigs. put on a beard? Oh, yeah. He would really go all yeah, well, out? No, he'd wear a disguise. He would. Oh, my gosh. Was, I thought he was on, on the lamb or something. I have <laughs> friends that wear disguises for different reasons. Yeah, that's true. And I've met them all over the world. <laughs> but, uh, no, he was really uh, extremely eccentric, extremely intelligent. Hmm. And I think he's overstepped his bounds right now. And I told him this personally. I think what he's doing and getting involved politically without getting into detail is a ruination of a great artist, and a lot of his fans have abandoned him. He's having problems in, with some of his businesses. They're getting cancellations. Oh, man. Because he's getting too political. And I pointed out, a very close friend of mine, at, at the time she got into it, Shirley MacLaine, with the Vietnam War. 
And her career was destroyed after that. Oh. And uh, not that he cares about anything at his age. He's, we're about the same age, him and I. But um, I, uh, I, I really feel that people who are in the show business should only entertain. Your opinion? You know, you know, you know Johnny, you're right. Uh, Matt Damon said it best. I mean, here's one of the world superstars. We have no idea what his political affiliation is, what he thinks about anything political, what he thinks about anything social. He says, people pay to see me act. Right. That's exactly what I'm going to do. He's smart. He's smart. Yeah, exactly. Stay out of the political arena. It's It can only hurt you because there's 50% of the people are not going to like what you have to say. Mm-hmm. That's true. Right. And okay. that, that 50% is big. I mean, I'm, I'm so happy to, uh, uh, you know, we're accumulating a, a big following. I wouldn't do one thing to disrupt 10% of it, not alone 50% of it. I mean, let's let's entertain people and have fun. Yeah. Exactly. Definitely. All right. Well, next one is for Pat. This one is book-related. So Mike said, throughout your time writing the book, did you ever stop and think, is this guy full of crap and making up some of these stories? Before agreeing to write the book and while writing the book, did you conduct any investigating of your own to confirm some parts of his amazing stories? Yes, I did. I, I, I looked him up in the phone book to make sure he was still alive. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, anytime, anytime a writer gets involved in uh, someone else's life, writing their biography, their memoirs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the onus is on me to do research. The onus is also, and I, I, and I don't do a fraction of what the publisher does. Publisher has a team of lawyers, and I'm not exaggerating, uh, as Johnny can attest to, lawyers pull the manuscript apart before it sees print. Any name, any date has to be verified by two sources. Really? Uh, uh, they're, they're very scrupulous about this. And I, I could give you examples. I mean, I wrote a book once where I was referring to a, uh, a gangster in Turkey who was illiterate, who lived in a mud hut in old Istanbul. There's two parts of Istanbul. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, the uh, the person I was, I was writing about, this was a true story, was there to find a kidnapped child. That said, this guy couldn't even re- – he was illiterate in Turkish. Forget English. And the uh, we used his real name. I mean, and the publisher was so upset with that. Well, you know, we can get sued and we have to change his name. And I told him the same thing I'm telling everybody that's listening to this. He can't even read Turkish. He's yeah. not going to see this book. Besides that, what we say is true. Yeah. And they say it doesn't make a difference. We have to have a second source. So that's how strict they are. Wow. So everything, every I, I, I vetted what, what I could with, with my limited resources. But the publisher goes all out because the last thing they want to uh, see is uh, the inside of a courtroom. Yeah, yeah and, and what the, uh, a lot of lay people don't realize, if they're going to sue, they're going to sue the publisher first because they have the deep pockets. And they're uh, responsible. Yeah, they figure they're insured. I mean, I've been sued uh, just for the fact that I wrote down what somebody told me. I, in fact, I was uh, the, uh, the object of a, of a $50 million suit about three books ago. Oh my God! Uh, some guy, some guy. I don't want to mention the book or anything, but the but the story was some guy that we depicted as a uh, a a, a uh, gangster in a certain family swore that he gave that up in 1983, and by uh, indicating that he is currently affiliated with this family, that we've uh, ruined his reputation. Now he is a quote man of God, 
and uh, uh, he, he, he preaches. Anyway, the publisher was all upset, so all I did was go on Facebook, and there, there he is on his Facebook page with his arm around his captain of his crew uh, in a northern New Jersey family. Plus, we come to find out that he is bundling drugs from uh, uh, Mexico to northern Jersey, currently under investigation and subsequently indicted. That said, I guess he lost his credibility. (laughs) He did. He did. The publisher paid him off anyway, paid him $25,000 to keep his mouth shut. And what do you think happened as a result of that? The book was a bestseller. Any guesses? book was a bestseller. Everybody in the friggin' book, from the lowliest golfer gangster to anybody that we named, sued the publisher. Oh, my God. Because they figured they're going to get paid off. And they did. Paid off everybody. Oh, are you geez. kidding? And I told him, I said, do not do this. You're going to open up the floodgates. We got him cold. Oh. We, we know he lied. Yeah, but, you know, we have to take this to court, and the, the, it's going to cost attorney's fees. I said, but you're dealing with gangsters here, and all they see are dollar signs, and they're going to just, you, you open the door, and now they're going to run through it. And I gave them the example of Oprah. In, in, in the late 80s, uh, Oprah, when she had her show, or the early 90s, had a segment on uh, on on the beef industry and how uh, how slip shot it is and how uh, dirty the slaughterhouses are mm-hmm. and, and the packing plants and long story short it was it was on television and she was sued for hundreds of millions of dollars and uh, she uh, she said well I'm just going to settle and she had a jury consultant as part of her team that said listen to me. You don't know who I am. I'm just a lowly jury consultant. But what I'm telling you, and the jury consultant, for those of you who don't know, they vet the jury. They figure out who's going to be the most favorable to your side of the case. That's a jury consultant. Mm-hmm. So this jury consultant said, I, I do not recommend you doing that because you're going to open up the floodgates. Everybody's going to sue you and you're going to settle with them. And this is what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. She listened to him. She won her case. Oh, wow. Went away. Do you know who that jury consultant was? Who? Dr. Phil. No way. That's why he got the right? show. Oh, that's, I didn't know that. I love and Dr. She was Phil. So, she was so, imp- so impressed with him. The rest is history. Wow, yep. that's crazy. So, you know, stand your ground. I mean, you, you don't, uh, just because you, you want to save a couple of bucks in the long run, it's going to cost you. And for, as far as I know, the publisher's still paying these people off. Wow. I mean, I have no idea. It's been a, been five years. That's crazy. Uh, I don't know. But that, that's, a, that's a long way around uh, the, uh, the listener's question. But yes, trust me, vetted. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, so another one regarding the book. Henry says, the book mentions Mo Daylitz as the model for Mo Green. For the longest time, fans thought Mo was based on Bugsy Siegel. Any thoughts? Well, it was a combination have- because of, uh, I, I know that for a fact, a lot of the characters in, in the book the Godfather by Mario Puzo mm-hmm. was a combination of two or three people. And Mo Green, what did he say? Maya Lansky? It wasn't Maya Lansky. No, no, no. Mo Dalitz. Mo Dalitz, yeah. yeah. No, well, Mo Dalitz was Maya's guy in Vegas. Right. And he had that kind of control. Bugsy Siegel was everybody's guy in Vegas at the time they were building the original Flamingo Hilton. It's the same thing as, i give you the great example. Don Corleone mm-hmm. was Carlo Gambino. Joe Pafacci owned the Island Oil Company at the time. And Frank Costello 
who had all the politicians and mm. uh, you know uh, polit pol pol political guys right. in his pocket and judges. So they made one guy out of it. Yes, and uh, Pat, Pat and I basically did a lot of that in our book. We won't say which characters because we had so many characters, and so we took tidbits of the same elements. Mm -hmm. And because we the book would be the twelve hundred pages. <laughs> Yeah, and we aren't talking about the main characters, but the uh, uh, ca ca you know characters that pass through Gianni's life. Right? Yeah, little little you know, things yeah. here and there. Gotcha. All right, so onto a couple Hollywood-related ones, which are mostly directed at Gianni, but Pat will get to you too. So okay. Micah asks, "How well did you know Tony Bennett? Were Tony and Frank Sinatra friendly or rivals, and was he as connected as Frank?" Tony Bennett was not connected as Frank, and Frank really wasn't connected, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I'll let me clear that up. <laughs> uh, Tony Bennett is still alive, fortunately. His, his, daughter, his daughter, Tonette, lives down the block. Tony was just loved by Frank Sinatra because he truly was an entertainer, a singer's singer, mm. they would say, in the industry. And Bennett was squeaky clean and still is. He smokes a little pot now and then, but that's what keeps oh, him really? going. He's 92 and very happy. Sinatra was enamored with the mob, and early on in his career, he crossed somebody in New Jersey and ran to people in New York who controlled him for a long time mm. until um, he decided to go with Chicago and the word is, I don't know how I would know this, <laughs> Chicago and New York said, now we both have them. Oh. And they shared them. Basically shared his performances uh, out of gratitude by him. And he worked a lot of weeks for nothing and did a lot of favors. But he needed it. Frank, when he wasn't drinking, was the greatest guy in the world. Yeah. When he started to drink, he thought he was Sonny Corleone. <laughs> hmm. But... Johnny, Johnny, let me ask you this question while I still have it fresh in my mind. Would this be the following statement? I won't call it a question. Is it true or false? No good can come of an outsider that gets involved with the mob. In this day and age, I would say that. But years yeah. ago, they owned all the nightclubs. They owned the record labels. They controlled the radio stations. So if you didn't get involved with the mob, Unless you were like some miraculous, one-of-a-kind singers, you'd have no career. You know, we're talking about today with social media. Was that Russell? Is that, is that you, Pat? Russell what? around? No, like, not me. Okay. okay. Mm. All right. But anyway, um, to get back to the question, the, the thing is that today, it wouldn't, you don't need it. I mean... Yesteryear, yeah, Roulette Records controlled it. Seaberg, I mean, if you wanted to hit record, you got to get in bed with Seaberg because they had the jukeboxes and they got all the play. They can give you a, a, a million seller in two weeks just by putting it in all their jukeboxes. Hmm. So people didn't know that. And so you had to, I mean, every nightclub, I, I was indicted many years ago and when I, for my gaming license, I was up for that too. And they mentioned that, why do I know Corky Savella? Why do I know this guy, the other guy? And I said, well, obviously you're not in the entertainment world. Hmm. They own all the nightclubs. <laughs> and that's where I worked. So I'm supposed to ignore them and don't say hello? And uh, that was the only way. But I mean, to get involved with the mob, unless you're not into it, and 
like me, I, I ran to the mob, the mob, what we call the mob. But to me, I was around these people all my life. I have my closest friends are still associated. But if, if you're not asking for something, you have no problem. Mm. Once you ask for something, you know that just for your investigative years at the police department, Pat. That's how these guys get involved. Oh, yeah, they really had no choice. But some of them, uh, do you think Sinatra went the extra mile? I mean, he actually, he, he, I think he thought he was a gangster. What's your opinion about that? Oh, no, he thought he was. Once he had yeah. that, once he walked away from a couple of tight situations, then, I mean, his whole attitude was that. And he can call anybody because they, they I mean, it was Frank Sinatra. Hmm. But I've also seen Frank, you know, with tears in his eyes when people went to his dressing room and, and sat him down. So, I mean, he knew, I mean, he, he could play the game and they wanted him to, and he was very successful at it. I mean, I'm not trying to diminish who he is, but he really was not a made guy, and he couldn't have been to begin with, because, you know, I mean, there's controlling stock and Budweiser alone. I mean, where, where are you gonna go? It was a great image. A lot of people made a living on I made a living on it. Mm -hmm. Everybody thought I was in a mob. I'm not in a mob. <laughs> I wasn't even a Boy Scout. <laughs> but Frank was not in the mob hmm. and Tony Bennett definitely wasn't <laughs> very well liked by the mob and that's where you had to be mm -hmm. if you were nice and said yeah I'm gonna come, come to my birthday party I'll give you an envelope they'd go i go <laughs> why not you know guy gives you $10,000 20000 to show up at his daughter's wedding why wouldn't you go Plus, you ever I see like any of uh, Tony Bennett's paintings very talented guy. He paints. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Very yeah. That's his big, very big hobby, yeah. Very good painter. Oh, very I didn't good know artist. That. Mm -hmm. Cool. And he don't need any money. Mm -hmm. No. I think he's got his confirmation money in the envelopes. <laughs> Antonio Benedetto from Astoria, Queens. That's right. Is man. that his real name? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Learn something new every day. All right. So there's one from Danny, for Gianni, and it says. When you were in Hollywood, you must have mixed and mingled with just about everybody. Did you ever meet either of the Scotty brothers? And if so, can you tell us a story about that? I know both of them. Are you Do kidding? you? Of course. All right. Well, then Danny's going to be excited. No, Danny, good question. <laughs> Tony Scotto and I were young, aspiring actors, and we were up for the same part with Myra Breckenridge. I'll never forget it. And uh, I, people who don't know, the movie Myra Breckenridge was directed by Michael Sarn. And this Myra Breckenridge was played by Mae West. Hmm. And Mae West was this, I mean, uh, should I be politically correct and not say she was no. a bad old lady? Well, <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily politically yeah. incorrect. But, but uh, she, not at all. <laughs> she was overly made up. And I should have gotten the idea when my agent at the time, Jack Gelardi with CAA, said, this is a great opportunity. It was right after one or two films after The Godfather. And it was 20th Century Fox. He said, you have an appointment there at, at 7 o'clock. I said, 7 a.m.? They said, no, no, 7 p.m. I said, why? He said, she don't meet anybody in daylight. Hmm. Which didn't bother me because I was out all night drinking anyway. Mm. But when I got there, the whole dressing room was in pink and all this. And she looked like a lampshade in my grandmother's house. <laughs> she had one of these big chiffon dresses on, sitting there. How old was she then, Johnny? She was an old lady when she made that movie, right? Yeah, she was in her 60s or 70s. Who knew? I was like in my 20s, you know. Anybody over 40 was old to me. 
But, I mean, these two characters, Michael Sarn being the other character, were talking to me, oh, you were so brilliant in The Godfather, da 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 and started telling me about this movie. And they said, there's some nudity. How do you feel about nudity? I said, I, I don't have the problem being nude. If it's to the storyline, you know, I'm not going to create, you know, any crazy scenes. If that's it, I'm a young guy and I'm Catholic, and I don't, I don't do that. So they said, well, if you have no problem with it, can we see your body now? I just about tore her head off. Oh, my gosh. I swear to God. And then Michael Sarn butted in with his little swishiness saying, well, it's very important to the character. I said, guess what? I don't need this picture. Thank God. God only knows what you people do and destroy young people, images mm -hmm. in the arts. So what are you going to do? I get nude now. Are you going to touch me? Mm. I said, I'll see you later. And I walked out. I didn't go out the gate. And Jack Gelardi was calling my car, because fortunately I had good cars all the time, <laughs> and said, what did you do? Your career is over. I said, let me just tell you something, Mr. Gelardi. You're over. Forget you. Don't ever represent me again and send me into a trap like that. And I did. I left him. Wow. I left the agency. He said, I'll never work again. That was 45 pictures ago. <laughs> <laughs> And the movie didn't do very well to begin with. So yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, wow. <coughs> and funny, Tony Bennett did the uh, the uh, title song of that movie. Oh, it all ties together. When Joanna Loves Me. How do I remember this song? Wow. That's crazy. Can't get away from Tony Bennett, man. Mm -mm. Great man. <laughs> all right, so Brandon asks, besides James Caan, is there anyone else you've worked with on set that you didn't like? Not really. I mean, Jimmy, well, first of all, I, I, not that I didn't like Jimmy. I got that you to, didn't get along with. Well, I, I got along with Jimmy okay. until he tried <laughs> to pull a stunt on me that would cost me my life. Well, yeah. I, I get along with everybody. I mean, ups and downs. And, 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 and in this business, there's so many crazy people. I mean, I did a movie years ago with a guy called Jack Polance, who I thought he should be locked up somewhere. I mean, it's nuts. I played his brother, mm. which was very hard. We played the Vichetti brothers. But, you know, those kind of characters, and I was trying to really like Jimmy because I thought maybe he was a method actor, and he really thinks he's the wise guy now. But after that, that thing with me and, and, and Junior, I, I could never forgive him for that. Yeah. But, uh, no, everybody else, I just, I'm, I get along with everybody. Yeah. I get along with anybody in the world right now. I mean, to me, it's, I, it's easy being nice than being an idiot. That's <laughs> true. You know, Jack Polance, funny you should bring him up. He was famous. He, he got uh, an Academy Award for playing a crazy old cowboy, which was kind of typecast. But he goes on stage to receive his Oscar. And it's, instead of an acceptance speech, he does one-arm push-ups. Mm-hmm. Recall that? I remember it. Yep. He got down to Thank the floor. Thank you very much. And he, he hits the floor. And he was trying to prove a point. He was pushing 80 then. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You know, he was in great shape. But, but I, you know, I, did, I never heard anything... Any stories about him personally? He wasn't uh, wrapped very tight, Gianni. No, man, crazy guy. Yeah, oh. really crazy. I mean, I liked he, him as an actor, though. Oh, great he actor. Was, I think I think it was great for what he did. I mean, I can't say he would. No, he couldn't do Shakespeare. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, it's like yeah, okay. It's like uh, Schwarzenegger <laughs> trying to do uh, Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did a tel. Uh, uh, Lance did a television show called Bronk. He he played himself as a as a police detective. I never, crazy, I never crazy watched TV. Guy. That was, what was that, in the 60s? 70s. Really? 
Yeah. I didn't know that. I, I don't know where I get this from, but I, I recall yeah. it. Obviously, you watched a lot of television in the station house. <laughs> Apparently. Well, I'm, what do you think? I'm going to go out, out there and get hurt? No. No, I don't blame you. Hey, there you go. All right, so Karen asks for both of you. Johnny and Patrick. Well, we don't do tell We don't do, uh, what is that called, a threesome? Well, that's not, <laughs> that's nowhere near that, but okay. Yeah, that, oh. was, in, that was in the movie, uh, Myra Breckenridge. We, yeah. we don't do that. <laughs> okay, so Johnny and Patrick, what are your personal top mafia film picks? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I mean, it goes without saying, The Godfather. Even right. before Gianni and I uh, got together on this book, when Frank Wyman, who was our agent, called me up and he said, you want to do this book? It's with uh, Gianni Russo. He said, The guy in The Godfather? He says, it's my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> I didn't say, well, I'll do it and you don't have to pay me. I didn't go that far. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. You know. Thank but God I, you that's my, That's without a doubt my, my the top, not only my top mob movie of all time, top movie of all time, that, that's a good. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, we, others, I think out of prejudice, I think we should eliminate the Godfather entirely, and let's think. Yeah, well, let's, let's gotta be everybody's that. favorite. So besides that, I, I would say uh, Mean Streets. Okay. What'd you think? What'd you think of that, Gianni? I like Mean Streets. I, I, was that a mob movie though? I don't know if that was a. Mob well, movie. yeah. Well, it was. It was uh, budding wise guys in the Lower East Side. Yeah. Uh, how they stood. In fact, that was Robert De Niro's first movie. Oh. Uh, but they, they played a bunch of. Uh, they, they they introduced the world to the word mook in that movie. They played a bunch of mooks from the Lower East Side who were trying to get their foothold in in the mob and kept on screwing up. Huh. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was that was De Niro's first movie. He he looked like he was seventeen. Wow. Uh, it was, that's that's probably number two for me. How about you, Johnny? I never saw the movie, to be honest with you. So really? I oh, man, it's a classic. No, I but I, so if, if not that, what's your what's your favorite? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I like the early Cadney movies. <laughs> oh, White Heat. Yeah. That's one of my favorites, too. That's one of the ones I used to, you know, those old ones I liked. I liked even on the waterfront, which was indirectly controlled by the mob, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. You all right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> next question. Okay, next question. <laughs> So, Freddie asks for Gianni, with all the money that Frank Costello was making, what became of all of those investments in the Tropicana Hotel in Vegas, 11 Wall Street in New York, etc.? How did his wife and family benefit from his ownership of all those holdings after Costello's death? I don't know. You don't know? No. No (laughs) I'm not getting in that job. (laughs) Freddie, are you an FBI agent? (laughs) (laughs) No, Costello, to my knowledge amassed about 300 million dollars wow yeah and, i mean during prohibition he made 60 million oh, with joe gosh. kennedy and you're talking about in the 30s i mean some of his properties his whole i mean we're sitting in one of his holdings yeah that's <laughs> true i don't want nobody coming to take the rug run for me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so joseph asks how was frank costello able to to be ahead of the mob with an irish name I love this. Who, who answered this question? Joseph. Joseph? Yeah. Joseph, he took an Irish name so the police and everybody else would think he was an Irishman. He ran Tammany Hall in New York indirectly from Toot Shores. He's from Sicily. He has a very long Italian name. <laughs> so did he... Castaglia. Yeah. Oh, was that what it was? Yeah. Hmm. So, Interesting. Joseph, he, he was an Irish myth. It was purposeful. <laughs> Okay. Do your homework, Joseph. 
All right, so Dennis asks, I was wondering if you could share any stories and information about the mob and the docks. You mean my godfather, Tony Anastasia, local 802? I mean, uh, 920? That's the International Longshoreman Union. There is, I mean, the stories are, are what they are. That's easy. I mean, I, I can't even talk about it. Oh. And uh, Carlos Mussolini. Luciano, though, the, 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 yeah. the main story that came out of World War II and the docks. Which was a hero. Yeah, Luciano got 40-something years for being a pimp, if that's if that's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but while he was doing his time, he, he did about four or five years at the time uh, World War II uh, broke out. The United States got involved. And the port of New York was a prime target for saboteurs. And they were sabotaging boats, blowing boats up, starting fires. And the FBI couldn't make a dent in the docks because the mob ran it. No one was talking. So somebody got the bright idea to approach Luciano in jail and say, if you can help us in the war effort, we won't forget it when this war is over. After he agreed, there was not one ounce of trouble on the docks anymore. Plus, he supplied intelligence to the Allies when they invaded Italy. And after the war was over, he got sprung with the proviso that he get deported back to Italy, which is where he died, 1955. Hmm. And what a lot of people don't realize, longshoremen on Staten Island side, under the under the uh, head of Alex DeBreezy, don't ask me how I know these things, uh, <laughs> Alex DeBreezy, they actually found a German submarine in the, in the coast of the Narrows, that close between Brooklyn and Staten Island. It was because the word went out, what's going on, and they worked 24-hour shifts during the war with the rubber and the metal and all that stuff. But the international longshoremen never got the due credit. And as, as you pointed out, Pat, uh, Luciano got the credit, and he wanted to be deported. He wanted out of anything. Imagine they got him, as you pointed out, being a pimp. And Ridiculous. Because he owned all these brothels. Mm. And, uh, I know, but they had they had the, the, uh, prostitutes actually testifying. Uh oh, telephone. Uh, that's for me. I'm not here. Anyway, <laughs> uh, they actually testified in court that Luciano would actually show up at these houses of prostitution to collect money. Now, how ridiculous is that? I know. I mean, he's the boss. Yeah. No, they, what they, they did they, was they, just, they were holding they deportation over these hookers' heads. Right. You don't cooperate, and and right. you're going back to Germany. You're going back to Russia. This was at the at the height of the war. You know, so uh, they just lied, and they 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 couldn't get him any any other way. So that's how they got him. But he indirectly he was a hero to the American government. Yeah, he did. He did his job. Yeah, as a patriot. Yes. (laughs) Next. Okay. I like this. Like, uh, it's uh, fun. What's my line? Yeah. Right. (laughs) Okay. So Tony said. My husband and I would love to go to the Mob Museum, your opening section in September. What is the date and how do we get tickets? Do you have information on that? I have a lot of information on it. I um, decided not to be a part of it. Oh, did you? Yeah, I, I'm, once we got into it and I met with certain directors and all of that and saw what the exhibit's about, uh-huh. I really don't want to be a part of crime history in Las Vegas. I mean... My, my association has always been an association. Um, I, I didn't like they were gonna, how they were going to dramatize me going to that lady's rescue. 
Lois Manis. Yes, yeah. And make it like now I'm some gangster killing people. Gotcha. And I just don't think I would want my grandchildren going there. Look at Poppy, what he did. Mm. So, um, anytime you're in New York, you want to come to my museum. It's open 24 <laughs> 7 in my house. I'm not going to be in that museum. Well, then Tony can come over for there a show go. instead. <laughs> okay, so Kevin said. Did you ever know a man named James Files or James Sutton? Supposedly, he was the one that shot John Kennedy along with Charles Nicoletti and John Roselli. Their boss was Sam Giancana? Giancana, yeah. Giancana, Giancana, who I have heard you mention a few times. So did you ever know either of those people? No. No? Okay, well, that answers that. That's how I got a short neck. (laughs) In front of the grand juries. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anybody. I don't know. The only guy I did know and I mentioned was Johnny Roselli. We know that. But. Mm. Okay, so next one. David asks, do you know what was the reason Bob Kennedy was shot on live television? Because the news cameras were there. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. He was running for president. I, mean, I guess geez. maybe David thought it was purposeful in no, front of TV. No, no, no. Uh, like he, he was on his way out of the uh, uh, Ambassador Hotel uh, to avoid the crowds. He was walking through the kitchen. They got him in the kitchen. Yeah. Oh, okay. So they had about six guns placed everywhere and Sirhan Sirhan who was a waiter at the Ambassador Hotel long before great security they they never checked this they didn't check this guy out anyway no but that 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 wasn't done on purpose it was the same reason that uh, um, what's her name also got shot on camera who was that when they were transferring her from prison Lee Harvey Oswald. Oswald Oh, okay. by Jack Ruby. It's news. It's news. I mean, you know. Yeah. The That's reporters funny. are going to be there. You know, but people uh, look at this, these old uh, uh, tapes, the old footage, and they, they seem to equate what happened 50 years ago with the technology we have today. Right. You know, and that it, it isn't so. I mean, these people were hand carrying uh, cameras that weighed, weighed more than a Buick, you know, to get some of these shots. Uh, and where there was news, these guys were there. You know? And they were paying tips to desk sergeants when are you moving them, when are you that? And they'd call the Yeah, exactly. The media. That's how they got money. Wow. That's how they knew. But, That's uh, crazy. All right, so next one. Jake asks, Gianni, how did you get into motivational speaking? Well, I, I, Pat and I basically discussed this at length because at my age, one of the purposes of reading, uh, writing the book was to motivate kids, because I've always been helped by people, and I'm in a position now, and Pat and I created the Yes You Can movement. Oh, that was both of you guys together? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, we just feel a combination of us going out and inspiring young kids to do the right thing. Mine was not even to do the right thing. Just pursue your dream Mm -hmm. and get some ambition. And probably uh, subconsciously I was even doing this for some of my sons to get a job i don't know <laughs> but that, that's well, why basically was... yeah, there, there, there really isn't uh anybody that doesn't want to get ahead in life no matter what you have you want more mm-hmm. particularly in our society but people look to other people as role models and uh gianni you know when i when i first brought this up i said what do you think and he agreed but who but Gianni, can you point to that started out with less than nothing, literally less than nothing, yeah. and 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 wound up where he is today, and he did it 
just by not saying quit. Never quit. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, and if people want to hear that. How how did you do it? Can you teach me to do that? You know, people, you know, there's always an easy way out in life, and most people take it. Uh, but if, if you truly want something, you go for it. But people don't know how to do that. So when they listen to somebody like Gianni, it motivates them. And uh, everybody wants to know, how can I do this? And all of us can do it. Anybody listening yeah, absolutely. can do it. Absolutely. I mean, if you have a dream, make sure you're not dreaming above your limits of what you can do and the capacity to achieve it. But the rest of it is up to you. Determination, man. Mm. Yeah. All right. So Katie asks, this can be directed at both of you. What are your thoughts on the way technology has developed so rapidly throughout your lives? Would you ever have dreamed that we would be this advanced as when you guys were younger? Well, me personally, I, I was just happy to get a transistor radio. <laughs> I mean, I'm that was the only technology you needed. I'm being very honest. I, mean, I was in a, a, a ward with no communication to anything or anybody but the staff. So my only outside source was a little transistor radio. I thought that was great that it didn't have a plug. Yeah. You know, so I, I'm patching out as old as I am. But to watch what's going on now, and we're all a part of it. I mean, I'm enamored with it. Look yeah, at what, we're doing it look, right now. You know, look what we have here. It's like, I mean, I, I you know, it's uh, phenomenal. And I think, Pat, I mean, you, you have to agree with me. I think. Oh, that, yeah. Well, uh, when I was a kid, I mean, who of us didn't read the Sunday comics, you know? And Dick Tracy was always on the front page of the comics. And I was fascinated by this, this foreign device, this space age wrist radio he had. Oh. And, uh, and as we're doing this podcast... I have one on my wrist. It's called an Apple Watch. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, who would have thought in my wildest dreams uh, that that uh, and it makes you I'm a private investigator. For those of you who don't know what else I do, uh, it, it made my job so much easier. I can't tell you how many people call me looking for people they haven't seen in 30, 40, 50 years Some people that they were in the war with World War Two, you know, lost loves. And they, they want me to find them. And I find them. I never leave my office which is in my home, uh, in my basement, with a window the size of a post-it stamp. But I have computers, and I can sit here, and while I'm on the phone with them, I find who they've been looking for for all these many years. But, of course, I don't tell them that. I say, I'll get back to you. Mm. You know, I mean, if it was that easy, and it is. Good you know business, man, Pat. Yeah, right. Good business. <laughs> I mean, navigate your way through technology. I'm like Gianni. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're older people, but... Uh, I mean, I love to stay on top of this stuff. I mean, uh, fortunately, you know, I, I had I had two boys. They're in their twenties now, but they taught me everything that I needed to know. Mm. And I still go to them for help. <laughs> I do. And my parents you know? do too. I mean, it's, 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 the stuff is changing daily. Yeah. Are any of these questions directed to you, love? No. (laughs) Aren't you feeling bad? I don't have all the information that you guys have. To all our listeners. What's interesting about me? You're making Megan feel really bad. Oh, it's good. That's good. It's all good. Okay. So, Mark, for Gianni, why hasn't Martin Scorsese ever put you in any of his movies? Well, that's a great one. (laughs) Mark, you're going to love this story. What is going on with That's you? That's a detective. That's he's, getting, he's getting work. That's my, I, I turned off my phone, but I didn't turn off my Dick Tracy watch. Okay. Huh. Okay. So now I'm turning it off. All oh, right. Perfect. That's all right. Give up. I'm not that popular. So where, where, where are we at, Mark? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mark. Mark, 
Martin Scorsese, I knew of him in the neighborhood, he knew of me, and so did Pat. We all comes from the same area. Yeah, we're coming from the same neighborhood. Yeah. Same neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And his mother was the best. And that's why his mother was in every picture that he made. And his mother always wanted to know why the kids in the neighborhood don't ask Marty to play with them. <laughs> I swear to God. It's a true story. I love this story. And so one day, the kids in the neighborhood, I won't mention who they were, <laughs> said, okay, he could play with us. And we made him first base. You used him physically as first base. As stickball. Because you had bases on the street. We didn't have a, yeah, yeah, we didn't no, have a field. Yeah. We played in the streets yeah. with a broom handle and a pink ball. That's so funny. And we used Marty as first base. So is that why he never put you in any of these movies? I, I think so. I never asked Because he them. used him as first yeah, base. Yeah. Uh, Three Sue was, uh, was a home run, if I recall correctly. Oh, yeah. Forget oh, if it about went that it. far? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, if it went past Three Sue, you got yeah. a home run. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's perfect. Well, I would assume that's why Marty never wanted to come out and play anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. That story's classic. Okay, so Jonathan asks for Pat. Oh, this one does mention me. It says, Pat, you were always so encouraging and complimentary to Megan. The chemistry on the show seems to work really well. Did you have mentors early in your career or in your transition to writing who helped you? Yeah, I had uh, I had one. I like you know I, I never took a writing class. I, I'm just a voracious reader. I read at least a book a week, usually more. And anybody who reads a lot says to themselves, you know, one day I'm going to write a book, and they go to their grave saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. And they never do it. But there was a, a lieutenant in the NYPD by the name of William Cornitz, C-A-U-N-I-T-Z. Uh, he, uh, he was like the East Coast, the NYPD Joseph Warmbaugh. Those of you who don't know who Joseph Warmbaugh was, he was the first uh, celebrity cop writer from the LAPD. Uh, from, uh, he wrote his first book uh, in uh, 1968, I believe. But uh, he became uh, rich and famous, but he was the West Coast guy. There was no East Coast guy until Cornitz came along. And I worked with Bill Cornitz, and B Bill Cornitz became a very wealthy guy writing stories of the NYPD. And when I was, he was a lieutenant, I was a sergeant. And I always wrote uh, for no other reason that I liked to entertain myself. I'd write a story three days later, go back to it and read it. Hey, this is pretty mm -hmm. good. But I never did, never did anything with it. One day I decided to show it to Bill because he was still working as a as a, a very well-known writer, always on the New York Times bestseller list. Eventually, of course, he retired. He bought a condo on Sutton Place. I mean, the guy was living high. But I said, hey, Bill, read this and let me know what you think. And he was a really tough guy, you know. And uh, his highest compliment, I'll never forget this. When I, I showed him a bunch of stories, all short stories. And he, he uh, uh, on a lunch break one day, he, he had the desk you know, working in Long Island City in his precinct. He calls me and he says, you know, this is his highest compliment that I'm going to say right now. He says, you know, this doesn't suck very much. <laughs> Bill Cornett's highest compliment. And I was elated because I, I, I knew him, you know. He yeah. said, let me tell you something, kid. Kid, he was like three years older than me. He said, <laughs> listen to me, kid. He said, do not stop writing. Wow. He said, continue to do what you're doing. And he was the only person that ever gave me any encouragement. I got a lot of discouragement. From a lot of people. I didn't publish my first book till I was 48. And that was my third book that I wrote. But I had friends, family tell me, what are you, nuts? Huh. You know, you, you, you're going to start in this game. You, you start when you're young and you build up a readership. And I, no one gave me any encouragement. Absolutely no one except Bill Cornett's. 
Well, I think wow. he's a great writer. Well, thank God for Bill Thank Clarence. you very much. And he passed away before I got my first book published by uh, probably about a year before. Oh. Passed away. And uh, I, I devoted my first book to him. I mean, he's a, he was, uh, without him, I, I don't think I'd be sitting here now. Well, thank goodness I, for I, him. I, I might be in the studio sweeping up, <laughs> but uh, not in the capacity that I'm in now. So that, yeah, that was my, uh, he, he, he was my mentor. Wow, that's awesome. That's great. All right, so one last one for today. So for Gianni, Laura asks, as incredible as your career has been, you obviously have a lot of energy. What do your future plans entail, if you don't mind sharing? Oh, my God. How many hours do you have? <laughs> I'm working on right now about five projects. I do not see a day that I'm even thinking about retiring. Uh, Pat and I have other books in our uh, library to write and put down and get out. We are in negotiation with three major studios who are going to take our book to either TV or motion pictures or both. I can't tell you which avenue we're going yet, but we should be able to answer all those questions within the next 30 days. That's how much the interest is. And we have, you know, I'm an ambassador to a food line, which I'm out promoting for my grandchildren and Maggie and um, we're doing so many things I mean motivational speaking we do a podcast I think <laughs> I think you're listening to it we do just yeah. continuing to do what you love I, 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 I'm gonna have to listen to that podcast and I'm, I'm you know as, as we're mentioning our podcast again look at what we just did we we didn't take a dip into the mailbag <laughs> so please keep writing to us this is fun, yeah. Yeah, yeah it is and, fun. And, and we'll make it a segment, maybe not the whole hour, because we, we have so much other things to say. But uh, we, we've decided to do another show or two down the road of just getting to some of these questions. The mail is getting piled up. But we're going to make a segment probably addressing questions that you have on, a, on a, a weekly basis. So become part of our show. Tell the world we need a lot more subscribers <laughs> because uh, Megan is fading away. We can't even feed her here. But <laughs> <laughs> that is not true. So in salutation, Pat, what, do you, what could, good words can you say to these wonderful people? Uh, how much, you know, this was something that we, uh, Johnny and I uh, thought of, oddly enough, ha having a couple of cocktails one night, we're talking on the phone. Well, what do you want to do, Gianni? I don't know. What do you want to do, Pat? We decided, hey, let's do a podcast. Never expecting that it would reach this level so soon. Yeah, we're blessed. Uh, and I, I just thank everybody for spreading the word. I mean, how else does somebody hear a podcast? There are over 200,000 podcasts. Yeah. That's great. And, and how did ours begin to rise to the top? You know, I mean, we still have a ways to go, of course, but it's 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 the listeners i mean obviously it can't be anybody else so thank you very much for listening and spreading the word it's you know i can't say any more than that yeah. yes absolutely megan yeah that's basically it too thank you all also our instagram too i don't think we've ever put in a little tag for that Please. if you guys want to follow us on instagram it's just at hollywood godfather podcast so we post updates on that and some cool graphics and videos and reminding you when shows are up so look out for that and follow us if you want and with that we'll say good night and come visit us again every wednesday night yes and whenever you're convenient to go to itunes and cloud soundcloud
SoundCloud. Yes. Time for the mailbag. And, and let me, I mean, we just love this segment. I, I mean, I, I know. They're great questions. I never get any mail. I like mail. hearing the answers. All I get is bills in the mail. I don't need those. But this is really great, and we appreciate it. And uh, just keep those cards and letters coming. Yeah, absolutely. You just make that up? Yeah, I think uh, you told me Bob Hope did. I don't know. I might have been. Well, he, he may have stolen it from you. I don't know. I'm not that old. Maybe. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> all right. Okay, so first question of the night. Julie asks for me, what do your friends and colleagues your age think about the podcast? That's an interesting question. It's a good question. So, I want to hear this So one. first off, yeah, the, the people that I know who don't know that I'm on this podcast and ask me what I'm doing, and I tell them they think it's the coolest thing ever because of course i say you know he's his first movie was the godfather and even kids my age are like wait what that's crazy so it's definitely a fascinating thing for people to find out about me but as for the listeners i find that a lot of people listening my age are who love it and listen to it all the time have either parents or grandparents who you know have italian backgrounds and a lot of the stories remind them of home or of growing up or of their grandparents and things like that. So, um, yeah, they definitely they definitely love it. Well, that's, that's great. Good. That's Excellent. perfect, actually. Yeah. No, that's what we're trying to do and attract every age group. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you also, in addition to the uh, uh, intricacies of the underworld, you have to have a, a love of, uh, of movies. Right. To to be uh, interested in, in what we have to say. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Moving on. Patty asks for Gianni. You have mentioned your love and appreciation for past popes. What do you think of Pope Francis? I, I, I'm really not enamored with him. No? I don't, I don't, he don't feel that soft and cuddly to me. Hmm. You know, I knew John Paul and I knew, the, you know, John Paul II, who was the best pope in the world. The third pope I only met for a very short time. Everybody Most, only met him for a short period of time. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> he had a, a small reign for about 30-something days. But um, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm just... I, I had this cloud in my head with what's going on in the Catholic Church. And I'm, I'm a true believer in the Church. I go every Sunday. But I still don't feel that they've really taken control and fixed the problems. I'll agree with that. With these pedophile priests. Mm. And to me, that's, uh, and I can see why my own children think I'm a hypocrite for going because look what's going on and they bring it up to my attention numerous well, it's times. Not, it's not the institution you believe in, it's God you believe in. Right. Just going into a building. Right. Right. But, I, but I'm just saying people are not even going into the building. Yeah, no, the that's, Catholic religion is uh, hurting. Yeah, people are leaving in droves. Uh, do you think? L- let me ask you this. Uh, I've added your opinion. Do you think that allowing priests to marry would be a help? The only reason I think it would only add more confusion, because I worry even now the exploitation of you know uh, marrying the same sex and all that. I can yeah. see priests marrying other priests. Then what are you doing? <laughs> They're not going to marry women. Mm. You know what happened with that, Pat? Well, it could be you, you can marry anybody you want. But what you're saying is, if somebody decides, hey, if you're allowing us to get married, we can marry whoever we want, and then you're going to start to uh, break the fabric of the church and what people believe in, and there's going to be problems. And 
Uh, you know, I don't same-sex marriage, marry who you want to marry. But when it comes to priests doing that, there's going to be a, a problem holding the whole church together. Well, that's what I'm saying. have a saying. lot of dissension. I'm agreeing, agreeing with you. I don't think just to let them get married, if they want to marry a woman, is, is that right? I don't know. But, I mean, I just think it would add to the confusion. Then well, if, do you think it would help get, uh, for lack of a better term, recruits into the church? I mean, you know, you're, you're uh, uh, putting a person in a, in a, in a life of celibacy. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the world is changing here. I mean, you know, they, they must be having a no, very it's, difficult it's barbaric. time. No, it's barbaric. I mean, we have always known that. Yeah. But, but well, you know what is it? I, I, you know, I, it, I hate to label anybody that's going into the, the clergy, but they, they, were, they must have had a sad, lonely life to begin with, to accept it, that. Either that or they're extremely devoted and, and devout. Right. Well, that'd be but how many of those can there be? Yeah. But then this is why you get pedophiles in there. I mean, I investigated, you know, we would talk about this during one of the other episodes, but this is a natural attraction. If you want to, if you want to be supremely trusted, Hello. who do you trust more than a priest? And not you know, only that, with I your mean, children. No? You well, have, not anymore. You have the pickings <laughs> of whatever you want and 24 seven, a food and a roof over your head. Hmm. It's an yeah. easy way out, I think, to a lot of people. I don't know. It's a, it's, it's a vexing problem. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on. Norman asks, for me, what is it like working with Gianni and Patrick? You want us to leave the room? You want us to leave the room? Maybe that's a good idea. Take your headphones off. <laughs> well, when I first came on the scene, really the only knowledge I had was, was the book, was Hollywood Godfather. And... With that, I became a pair of fresh ears for the show. I'm so, surprised you showed up after the book. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and it may seem as though sometimes I'm clueless, but it's purposeful. It's because I need to ask the questions that maybe I do or don't, or that other people might be asking who are from a younger generation. So that being said, I've learned so much, clearly. <laughs> We've gone through so many episodes, so many stories, and I just keep learning more. And it's definitely fun. This, you have this a is a fun view bunch. Of the world now, I'm serious. Do you have do you you look at the world in a different light, learning what you've learned over the past four months? Um, Are you a little more cynical than you were? I don't know. I don't think so. I no? don't think so. I think I'm getting. Uh, I don't really know how to describe it. Are you still Are you still as trusting as you used to be after what you've learned here? Hmm. Good question. Um, no. Yeah. That is a good question. I mean, I definitely need to watch my back, but I think, I, I think I still have... Did you feel that way before you started this podcast? Mm, I guess not. I mean, you know, I don't know. No, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a rude awakening when you... I mean, someone like myself is reflecting on 75 years of life and what went on, and you being uh, basically... I don't want to use the word virgin. I don't know you that well. Being so <laughs> oh, young... <gosh. laughs> But I mean, you're so young with life and uh, meeting you with your family and all that. I mean, when Pat and I decided this to me was a match made in heaven because you have to be the eyes and ears of everyone out there that's not with us on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. And that was selfishly our our first idea was that this is a perfect match for us to bring in the younger generation and get the, you know, find out who's inquisitive about what 
and using you as the knowledge of the, bringing us that audience. Mm -hmm. So, and it, it served the purpose and more so. I'm glad. No. I'm glad it has. But you feel comfortable with us, right, Megan? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. 100%. This is a stick up. Give me all your money. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you Good need, one. I'll give you because I know Good she one. don't have it. Yeah, I don't. I got nothing on me, so. <laughs> all right. So James asks for both Johnny and Pat, what would you consider your single mo greatest accomplishment in life? Single greatest accomplishment. Good, Pat. I had children very late in life. My first child was born when I was 47. Wow. And, uh, know you know, and coincidentally, uh, I was born when my father was 47. Wow. I, did, I, I didn't plan it that way, but I was too busy. So you busy. late bloomers, you two. Yeah, tell me about <laughs> it. I was too busy as a, as a young man trying to be Indiana Jones. And I, I, I never thought about settling down with a family or anything. And uh, my, my biggest thrill was, was you know, you have a child. I mean, you know, you have uh, something in common. Not, have, not doing this a lot earlier. Mm. You know, I mean, uh, my sons are in their early twenties. I'll be seventy-three in two weeks. Oh, less than that, a week. Oh my gosh! When's your birthday? Happy early birthday! July twelfth. Well, all twelve. Babies. All twelve. Oh, well. except me. Yeah. But <laughs> no. But the interesting thing is that you know, I didn't realize you had your first child at forty-seven. Yeah. You have you have uh, something in common with Don Rickles. He had his first child when he was 47. What? Really? Yeah. Oh. yeah. I know I like him. Oh, no, now you take a guy like me. My oldest son is 56. Oh, my goodness. My youngest son was born when I was uh, 51. Wow. Yeah, my, my youngest, Adriana, my daughter, I was 51. Yeah. That's wild. Crazy. Okay. So what about yours? Oh, What's me? your single greatest accomplishment? My single greatest accomplishment, basically, I think was just survival. Mm. And once I walked out of that hospital, that was it, man. Oh. I never turned back. That's a good one. And to me, you know, the accolades of films and all that stuff, they were just, you know, icing on the cake. To be mobile again and be free and out and not controlled was my big thing. Wow. I, I thought I'd never get out. Mm. You know, at a young age, it's... Uh, a tough decision. Yeah. And if they didn't read the book, you should read the book and you'll understand. Yes, if you want to hear the full story. The facet of that part yeah. of my life. Hmm. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to wrap it up for tonight. Wow. We're just breezing through these shows. I love it. The questions are great. Yeah. I love hearing yeah. the answers. Yeah. Me too. We have a very astute audience. Yes. And we thank they pay, you all. They pay attention. Yes. <laughs> no, they aren't drunk when they're listening to our podcast. I'm impressed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe well, they are. are. That's why they're listening. <laughs> but thank you all again, and God bless you, and please keep listening. Tell your friends. I say the same thing all the time because we really want your support, and we really enjoy visiting you each week. God bless you. Pat, Megan, we'll see you again. <laughs> good night, guys. All right, good night, guys. Good night. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. My name is Megan Horan. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. You can also visit amazon.com for a listing of books Patrick Picciarelli has written. 
Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather Podcast, as well as leave us a review on iTunes. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails and voicemails. Good night.